Thanks. Good morning. It's uh, it's always exciting to be here, and even the uh, great introduction, Steve. Where everyone, even when the St. Louis Blues won the Stanley Cup in Game Seven, eighteen of those guys were Canadians. So even when the Americans win, it's still the Canadians that are winning, right? So, uh, yeah, we're really excited. Uh, Bridget is just sitting back over here. She's uh, with me this time, and it's a pretty rare occasion for uh, for her to be able to. Uh, come along when we're on these trips and and uh, making appearances and, and uh, just giving updates and whatnot. So I'm super excited that she's with me on on this uh, trip out west. And uh, I guess for us, it's actually a trip out east, which is really weird. We're living in Langley, which is um, somewhat on the coast. Have to a lot of times to say we live in Vancouver because people don't know where Langley is. So um, we're really excited to be here, especially on Father's Day. It's an honor to uh, be back uh, at home. And uh, this is a church that we spent many years with, and then you guys commissioned and sent us out as sports missionaries many years ago. And uh, we're honored to see how God continues to work and move uh, through our ministry, and, and like Steve was uh, saying, changing lives, our lives, and uh, in, in turn, changing uh, athletes' lives that we happen to come in contact with. So quick update on our family. I do have a slide, a uh, little presentation. That's, uh, that's Bridget and I. I, I finally graduated after 21 years, so I, I got my degree this fall or this spring. So, uh, and what made it even more special, especially on today like this, on that next slide, is I got to graduate and walk the stage with my oldest son, Jalen. So he graduated at the same time from university at Trinity Western University. He's got a political science degree, and uh, we're pretty excited uh, to, to be able to do that with him. Next slide is uh, Jacob. Can't really see it's uh, a dark photo, but uh, Jacob is. Oh, there we go. Getting the lights a little bit darker, but he's just finished his first year at university at Trinity Western. He's in the business program and he's killing it. He actually got 100% in one of his uh, final exams in the business uh, math, and uh, he's he's a workaholic. <laughs> That's a picture of him working at the keg. He works in the dish pit, and in the mornings he's working at the golf course. Has a nap in the afternoon, and then heads over to to slave away there, and he just, uh, he's just a great young man that uh, is chasing after the things of the Lord. Uh, the next slide is uh, Joe. He's our middle son. He's racing his bike professionally uh, with a team called DC Bank Pro Cycling. He got married last summer here in Moose Jaw to a local Moose Jawian, uh, and she and him will be moving to Vancouver next week. And uh, Josh is currently, I think they're in Quebec somewhere right now. I think the next slide maybe shows his team. You can't really maybe see it, but they get to race five months in North America and then five months over in Europe and Asia. Um, racing his bikes is a way to honor God. So that's our family. That's a quick update. This last slide here is, is my email. So maybe pull out your phones and take a snapshot of that because what I'd love to do is I've got some magazine story articles that if you send me an email to that email address, I will be able to flip you back a couple of PDFs of some really cool things, a uh, bit of an update on, on our ministry um, in the world of hockey as well. So go ahead. It's just my first dot last name at TW.ca. And uh, we'll be able to fill your inbox with, uh, with a couple of really cool stories. Today, uh, if I was to put a topic on what I want to share with you and what God's put on my heart over the last few weeks um, would be the title of Show and Tell. And however many remember going to grade school and kindergarten or grade one, 
and you come back from a trip or a little bit of a weekend and it's your day on Monday to have show and tell and you bring some little object and you get to tell about it. And so that's the, the theme that I want to share with you is we get this opportunity to travel across uh, Canada and North America working with athletes and we get an opportunity to, you know, places like Kazakhstan and like if, if you don't know where Kazakhstan is, look on a globe and it's as far away as you can possibly get from Moose Jaw. In fact, if you go any further on the globe than Kazakhstan, you're actually coming back closer to Moose Jaw. It's, it's on the exact opposite side of the world. And everywhere we go working with athletes and just working with uh, people in the world of sports, the two biggest things that I notice that um, are a hot commodity that are in demand that people really crave is authenticity and community. Those are the two things. So when I sort of tie those into the show and tell theme this morning, when we talk about authenticity, we look at um, the, the meaning of authenticity and you look it up and, and the, the words that pop out for defining authenticity is something that is real, something that's original, undisputed, uh, genuine, bona fide. It's, it's the real McCoy. It's the that's something that you, you can't pretend, you can't fake, you can't just kind of limp your way through it and, and pretend what it is. In fact, the best way that I can describe what authenticity is, is that you can't shut up about it. You're so excited that you've experienced in your life something authentic that you have to tell others about it. When you get a new home, and maybe it's not a new home as in like brand new home, but maybe you've just moved and you get company over, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to show them your home. You're like, oh, excuse the mess, but you still want to show them your home because you're excited. It's something that you've experienced. It's authentic to you. When you get a new car, what do you, men especially, what do we want to do? Look under the hood. Vroom, look at this thing. She flies. You want to brag about your new wheels. When you get, and, and I don't know if this is a Saskatchewan thing, but in BC, <laughs> when people go on a new diet, you know, oh, I'm on a grain-fed, uh, non-dairy I, I, like it's got to be within 100 kilometers of my home and let me tell you about my diet, it's so good and it's plant-based and blah, blah, blah. Like you just like, okay, well, I'm having my cheeseburger and fries. <laughs> but we, we're, we're, when we have something authentic about food, we like to share it. A new activity, if you, if you run a half marathon, you post it up on your social media and you're excited about that. If you, if you ride your bike 10 kilometers, like I can't believe I rode my bike 10 kilometers. We, Bridget and I just got stand-up paddle boards recently because now we're really West Coasters. It's like there's lots of water and stuff like that. So we bought these paddle boards. And, and I actually was able to stand up on the silly thing. <laughs> and I, I tell people about that all the time now. Like you won't believe it, guys. I stood up on a paddle board because it's, it's authentic. I was able to do it. Not at first. At first, I looked like a fish out of water. And then I sat on this stupid thing for half an hour, and then Bridget finally encouraged me to stand up. And then what I did, I, I, I was excited. I was like, wow, this is awesome. So when you experience something real to your life and that it's really something that you can touch, you're excited. You want to share that with other people. Steve mentioned the Raptors. I, my basketball watching quota has, like, my lifetime quota has been filled for watching basketball because of the Raptors, right? And... There's a dude in game, where did it go, game six? Did they win in game six? So game five in Toronto, somebody paid $127,000 to sit courtside beside Drake. $127,000. And how do we know that? 
because he wanted to tell the world. <laughs> Seriously, you just go on Google and search who paid $127,000 and that dude's name pops up and his picture's there and he's got his arm around Drake. Like he wanted something so authentic, he was willing to pay like that much money for it. He craved authenticity and he wanted you to know how authentic that was for him. When I look at the scriptures, I got to dig it up here one second. I should have went with the wireless mic or the, the head strap one on, but Matthew says this, you are the light of the world. A city is set on a hill, cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. How many of us have experienced Jesus Christ, the freedom, the joy, to the point where we're, we're willing to be that authentic and tell other people about it? The same way that we'd be excited about the new diet we have or the new car we have or the new house or the new paddleboard. How authentic has he changed and ratified your life and transformed you from someone that had no hope and no identity. Your identity was tagged to your work. Your identity was tied to your marriage. Your identity was tied to what degree you had. And he set you free from all that and gave you hope to have joy in every day of your life. Are we willing to be authentic and share that with the same excitement? That's part of what we have on the show and tell every day of our lives. In Mark 16, 15, it says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. It's that process of just being willing to tell other people. There's so many times when we're guarded because we don't want to offend and we don't want to trip over something and we maybe don't want to lose our job, but we just continue to keep it hidden. But Jesus says, don't hide it. Put it on a lampstand. Get up on top of the hill. Get on, on the top of your brand new car in your brand new house and stand on that roof and say, I love Jesus because he transformed my life. Are we willing to do that today? Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and I love this part, to the end of the earth. Because there's so many times that we are Canada and we're embarrassed or maybe we're apologetic or we're sorry that oh gee I didn't sorry sorry didn't mean to offend you that I love Jesus and that offended you but we so we stopped saying anything about Jesus but we need to continually be about letting people know with our mouths that Jesus has made a difference in our lives they can't take your story away and you need to go and tell that to the ends of the world you might think that your job where you're at right now is obscure and God doesn't want to impact that part of the world that's a lie from the devil, and you need to understand that that's the end of the world, that he wants that light to be shining. Jalen, with his political science degree, he's, he's knocked on 20,000 doors this year in the Mission Matsui riding to tell people about the guy that he's representing. And he, want, he interned in Ottawa last year, and he knows that he can go to Ottawa and make a difference because he can be a light even at that part of the world that might be dark and we might hate it and we look at all the videos and say politicians are stupid and everything else. But Jalen wants to go there and be a difference and be a light. When, when Jacob goes and washes dishes at the keg, he wants to be a light. He wants to be the hardest working guy there so that his manager knows there's something different about him. When Josh 
our son rides his bike. He's got scriptures all over his bike and on his shoes. And whether he's crashing or winning races, he wants people to know that he's riding his bike to honor God. Wherever it takes them. And it's no different for you. Whatever your job is, whatever group of men and women that you associate with, whether it's slow pitch in town, whether it's beer league at noon hockey, whatever you might be at, that's the end of the world that God wants you to be a light for him. I had a player, we were in the finals a couple of years ago. His name's J.P. Villeneuve. If we lose the semifinal, he's going to the farm team of the Calgary Flames. And we win. So uh, we go to the final the next weekend, and uh, the Flames then were unsure if he was going to, if they needed him that following week, but he didn't care because JP wanted uh, to continue using the sport to honor God. And here we are, we're in the finals, it's game two, it's a vicious finals championship series, there's all kinds of stuff going on, and he's the best player in the league. And all of a sudden, uh, the, the only way that they're, the other team can beat us is slash him and spear him and hit him in the head and everything they could to isolate JP. And it, it was effective. It was helping. They were beating us. And there was one particular scrum in front of the net in the second period, and it was like we're talking, like you saw the Boston and St. Louis and how vicious and violent that got. It was no different. The, the guys are battling for the net for a loose puck. Oh. <laughs> Mickey Mouse is here. <laughs> um. <laughs> no, no distractions. <laughs> stay focused. Right? I tell my athletes, stay focused right here. Uh, the, the, this violent battle in front of the net, and this guy grabs JP by the scruff, and he's just punching him after the whistle like this. And JP does nothing, but he looks to him like this with a smile on his face. And he says, what are you afraid of? It's the finals. In the biggest scrum trying to score a goal. And he's getting his face punched in. And he says, what are you afraid of? Twelve months later the guy that was punching him in the face and who he said, what are you afraid of? Transferred to Trinity Western and committed his life to Jesus because for 12 months, that question burrowed into his heart and mind and he had to find out what the difference was. Why could JP, in the middle of such a battle, be so calm and say, what are you afraid of? And at the end of the day, the other player was terrified of life and what his future held. He's going to get married this summer, serving the Lord in the workforce out in Vancouver, because someone was willing to say, what are you afraid of? I got a player, one of the, the, the clips I want to send you, if you email me, his name's Kenny Batke. Kenny came to us three years ago, intelligent young man, once he's going into medicine, he's, like, he's, like he's studying organic chemistry, and like those things that when you, when you look at it, you're like, who, who can figure this out? And he's one of those guys that's just going to be this research genius figuring out something in the medical field soon. But when he came to Trinity, he did not know the Lord. He comes to the welcome barbecue where all the freshmen come in. 
and some stranger, and Kenny doesn't know who it was to this day, a stranger at the welcome barbecue walked up to him and said, what do you believe in? And Kenny's like, well, I believe in education, and I believe that hockey's pretty cool, and I'm using hockey to get my education paid for. And No, what, what do you believe in? And Kenny told him, I, I'm not really sure what you mean. Well, in, in your faith, like with, with all the things that you're coming to a faith-based school, what do you believe in? Why are you here? Well, I'm not really sure why I'm here. And the man then said to him, before you leave this school, before you graduate, you need to figure out who that is in your life. A year later, Kenny was on his knees, getting baptized, giving his life, surrendering it fully to Jesus. And now, as he's playing hockey and winning championships with us and getting working towards his medical degree, he wants to use now medicine as his platform to share Jesus around the world. In fact, he's in Europe right now, exploring what that might look like to do research, medical research in Spain, and honor God over there with it. All because some stranger at a barbecue said, what do you believe in? Another friend of mine that I met with, one of our supporters of the, the hockey team, he is so convicted. He's, he's, a, he's a well-to-do businessman in a, in a rough-and-tumble industry, in the trucking industry out in Vancouver. And he comes across all these rough-and-tumble businessmen that are also very wealthy, and uh, he wants to be the one that continually speaks truth into their lives. And what he has done is he's created for himself a one-page document. Not that he can just say, here, Fred, take this and see who I am. But he's got this one-page document that he's worked on and crafted and continues to adjust, and it's his story. And he's got it memorized. But he told me the other day, he said, the reason I've got the one-page document is because I want to be prepared. That when I get the opportunity to sit down with another salesperson or a guy the guy that's going to buy this truck or that thing, I want to be able to speak live, love into their lives without stumbling. I want to be authentic. I want to make sure that they know clearly who Jesus is. And the only way that I can do that is to have it really well prepared ahead of time. That's what it takes to be authentic. Sure, there's going to be times when you can wing it and just see someone and they need hope and you go over and speak into them. But I bet you you've spent time on your knees, and I bet you you've spent time in the Word, and I bet you that you've been prepared sharing your testimony so that you can speak into that life at that moment. <clears throat> that's authenticity, how I see it. Oh, yeah, that's a cool picture. That's our captain. Um, yeah, great leader. Next, uh, um, that's us in the championship game this year. Uh, and I read that verse to you already, so we can jump over to the next slide, uh, talking about community. Uh, three of those four men, uh, were involved in the Humboldt incident last year. One was on Nip One, sitting in the arena waiting for Humboldt to show up. And the other two were traded away from Humboldt a month before the accident. I'm 
when we talk about community and what we do at Trinity Western with their hockey program is we, we create authentic community. We create something different. We do hockey differently. And that's why these young men choose to, to come over and play for our program. Uh, I want to read a, a quick passage here. Hebrews. Chapter 10. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as it is a matter of some but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see the day approaching. There's so many times when, I don't know, I'm, I'm just going to isolate us as men. There's so many times that we just think that we can man up and we can do it ourselves. And we can overcome our obstacles by ourselves and we can celebrate life by ourselves. But at the end of the day, we, we crave community like nobody else. We, we need a group of men to come together around different causes just to have fellowship, to have the vulnerability to share struggles with and uh, the willingness to, to really carry each other's burdens and sharpens each, sharpen each other's swords. And when you create a community like that, people want to be a part of it. We have created something really special at Trinity. That's probably one of my... One of my favorite photos because it's me standing in the hallway as those group of men are getting ready to go out onto the ice. And yeah, they get the chance to play hockey and do some really cool things out there. Uh, but it's the community that we've created. It's the opportunity for these young men to, to find really who their identity is and that it's in Christ. And that's what they want to be a part of and, and, and uh, journey with. And when I look outside of my team and when I travel around the world, and get opportunity to work in other sports. And I, I see thousands and thousands upon fans gather for a viewing party for the Raptors. Like viewing parties in Regina. Like the football field probably had more Raptors fans for game six this week than there will be for the Ryder game next week. There was viewing parties in Langley at the theater and all across our country People wanted authenticity so much that they were willing to gather in a movie theater and in a football field and on a street corner watching the game on a TV, but only if other people were going to join them. <laughs> Taylor Field didn't open their doors for one dude to stand there and watch TV on their big screen. They opened it because there was going to be a community of people. Most of them had never watched a basketball game in their life before but because it was Toronto and something that they could rally around, thousands gathered. You might be sitting there thinking, no one really ever wants to talk about God and be vulnerable and real, so it's just me and I'm lonely. I guarantee you, if you're willing to be vulnerable and put your arm around the person at work or on your softball team or wherever you're at at work and say, hey, can we go for coffee and I just wanted to share something with you? They're not going to say no. 
Or if they do, they ask them again. They'll, they won't say no a second time. And pretty soon you've got something really cool going on, and then you've got a group of three or four or five, and pretty soon you've got this really tight community of men that you'll never break bonds from. We crave it. But we hide from it at the same time. And so my challenge to us this morning is to continue to press in and find ways to build community. In 1998, in the middle of the frozen tundra of Winnipeg, the World Juniors were held there. And we went with Bibles in the languages of all 10 countries that represented. And all the countries said, no, get out of here, get out of our rink, don't bother us. Except for the country of Kazakhstan. They invite us on their bus, we were able to present them with Bibles. And that began a 20-year journey of working in Kazakhstan because when I got off the bus at St. James Arena, I was so blown away at the authenticity of that meeting that I said, God, if there's ever a chance for me to work in Kazakhstan, sign us up. We're ready to go. And it's been a 20-year journey of working in that country and having them come over here and seeing lives impacted by the hundreds. If I had 10 more hours, I could continue to tell you more stories just about the Kazakhstan people and, and how things have trans, transformed in that country. And uh, this year, I had the opportunity. They, they contracted Bridget and I. Uh, to they, they qualified for the World Juniors this year. Did anyone watch the World Juniors in Vancouver? Did anyone maybe even go? I know Canada didn't win, so probably nobody watched. But um, we, they, they came out three weeks early, and we hosted them. We loved on them. We poured into them. We played them some games, we fed them food, we traveled them around and, and showed them different things. And on one of the nights, 20 years from the day at the 1998 World Championships, the 2018 World Championships, I presented those young men with Bibles. Is someone cutting onions in here? Holy cow. Um... The assistant coach comes up to me as I'm presenting with the new Bible. And he says, Barrett, I was on a bus in 1998 when you gave me my Bible 20 years ago. And this is a new one, and I'm very thankful for it. His name's Alexander, or Sasha for short. He ended up staying. When, when the Kazakhstan team went home after the World Championships this year, he stayed behind for three months and lived with my assistant coach, and was continued to be dripped on and dripped on. <clears throat> that grad photo that, uh, that you saw up there, that happened on a Friday three weeks ago. And on the Thursday before grad, I get the phone call from Kazakhstan, from the Rice Hockey Federation. They said, Barrett, we need you here on Monday. <laughs> I said, well, that's not going to happen. Um, I've got holidays planned with my family. And uh, I woke Bridget up and said, Kazakhstan wants to be there on Monday. And she said, well, what did you tell them? <laughs> Knowing that we were going on a holiday. And I said, well, of course, we're going on a holiday. So I said no. And uh, later on that day, we, uh, she came back from hanging out with her mom. And uh, her mom gets out of the car and says, Barrett, I hear you're going to Kazakhstan on Monday. <laughs> I said, well, no, I, I said no. And then Bridget said, well, no, you probably, if, if we weren't going on a holiday, you would go, wouldn't you? And I said, yeah, of course I would. Well, then you need to go. And uh, so here I was Monday getting on a plane, crawling over to Kazakhstan uh, because they were hosting the world championships. 
uh, for Pool B. And the top two teams that win there go to the top championship against Canada and the U.S. and whatever else next year. And uh, as I land, who picks me up at the airport? Alex, the guy, the goalie coach that had been on the world junior team. And they, they continued to do a whole bunch of really neat things. And um, one of the players that I got the chance to, to meet, uh, his name is Leo Metelnikov. And I'm not sure if you were at the church here in Moose Jaw in 2004, but you'll remember a group of 12-year-old boys that came and sat here. Uh, you guys cooked food in the kitchen for them. And uh, they played the local minor hockey team and went down and played Estevan and Weber and York and a few other teams. Leo was on that trip in 2004 here to Canada. And at the World Championships three weeks ago, I'm standing in the hallway and I recognize his name and I asked the interpreter, ask Leo if he came to Saskatchewan. And so she went in and sure enough, it was the, the Leo Metalnikov. And Leo comes out, we embrace, it's a big hug. I'm not sure if that's one of the pictures that is up here or not. I can't remember if that was a sequence of pictures, but you'll see a, a young chap right there. In 2004, the, uh, the, the week before they were to come over here, these are 12-year-old boys, they, their team in Kazakhstan lost their championship, and Leo didn't score that many points, and so his coach kicked him off the team. 12 years old. And his dad went back to his coach and begged him, please, please let Leo go to Canada. It's his lifelong dream. And eventually the coach relented, said, yes, he can come. And for the first three games in Estevan, in Weyburn, and in Yorkton, he sat on the bench, dressed, but didn't step on the ice as punishment from his coach. And it was a game here in Moose Jaw, the Kinsman Arena, where he finally got to play scored six goals, and went on to score a whole bunch of goals, and obviously was the best player in southern Saskatchewan at that point. Fast forward to three weeks ago, and Leo, through <laughs> two grown men crying in the hallway of a world championship, tells me that trip to Canada changed my life because it gave me hope that I could actually play this game. If I can play and score against Canadians, I could probably play the game back home, and can he ever? He plays in the KHL, which is the best league outside of the NHL. He's got a young boy, married, was thrilled to get plugged in and connected again, and wants to continue to, to get uh, mentored. And I wasn't sure how that mentoring was gonna take place come home, start to share some stories back here, and I get a phone call two days after I arrive back from Canada, or from Kazakhstan, and it's a friend of mine, Corbin Knight. Corbin plays for the Philadelphia Flyers, a young man that chases after God on a continual basis and uses hockey as his platform to share Jesus at the NHL level. He used to play for the Flames, got traded to Florida, back to Calgary, now with Philadelphia. His contract expired. He's been through a bunch of injuries, a back sur surgery, a shoulder surgery. He's going into a free agent deal. And a KHL team over in Russia offers him twice the money that the Flyers are going to offer him. So he phones me and says, Barrett, guess where I just signed? I don't know. Edmonton? Vancouver? Where did you sign, Corbin? 
I signed in Kazakhstan. Really? With who? Oh, with uh, Baris, which is the team that Leo plays for. If you are willing to be authentic and create community and allow God then to do his thing, there might be something unbelievable that happens on the spot. You might see someone completely change their life and have a transformational experience in living that moment for Jesus. And that's unbelievable. We've seen that happen on a regular basis. It might take a week. It might take a month. It might take 10 years. It could take 20 years. But I know the God that I serve had it written down in the history books that last week Corbin was going to sign with Boris so he could mentor Leo Metalnikov. You might think that's wild and crazy, but I think that that's how God works. And we're willing to be authentic and continue to create community. We took a break from cycling this year, which has been hard because I love just being there in the thick of the action, the, the authenticity of being in a bike race. It's going down the highway at 40 kilometers an hour and the hundreds of men that are chasing after their dreams on a bicycle. But we had to take a, a year off because there was just so much other stuff going on in the hockey world. And uh, for the last 10 years, we've been investing day after day into the lives of cyclists, into owners into managers, into coaches, into mechanics, into the cyclists, and just pouring into their lives. I might have, might have directly shared Jesus with 10 of them, but we continued to pour into their lives and be authentic. And when I was uh, called to be part of the, uh, the Humboldt Chaplaincy Program uh, right after the, the accident, I, I blogged about it. I shared that with the church here last year, and I wrote a blog, and dialogue that whole journey on the Facebook uh, page and all these owners in the cycling world of all the pro teams and all the coaches and managers follow me and I'm sitting in the office in February just a few months ago and then right around within about a 10 minute span my phone started blowing up with news feeds from the cycling world and from managers and owners calling me because a, a young lad in one of the races was killed. And the only pe person that the, they knew who to reach out to was they called Barrett. They said, Barrett, we need your help. We don't know what to do. And we were able to, I wasn't able to jump on a plane and, and go to California that, on that moment, but... I knew three other men that were full-time sports missionaries that were in the area and dealt specifically with cyclists, and I was able to get them plugged in within the hour to come alongside those athletes and owners. Because we've been authentic for the last 10 years, they invited us into their lives when they very most needed it. When you create community and you add authenticity, you will get opportunities, I promise you. Um, I'm sorry, I'm skipping around a little bit here because I want to respect time. I've got sort of two more stories I'll wrap up with. Um, 
we have a lot to offer. Every one of you that are here today, you have more than you will ever know to offer. You might think that, well, I don't, I don't have a degree, I don't have an education, I, I don't have a decent job, I, I rent and I don't own and I have a beat up car and like you, you're looking at it from a worldly perspective thinking you don't have much, but you need to know that God has empowered you and equipped you to do so much more than you could ever think is possible. Even the most wildest of imaginations that you might have in terms of doing something for the kingdom if you were just being willing to create community and step into a community that might already be there and be authentic with it, I promise you those opportunities will start to come through. We, we got our start in Cairnport, just up the road here. I'm not sure which direction. Cairnport's over there, maybe. And I had an office in the gymnasium. It used to be a, an airport hangar. And uh, in, the, in the back corner was my office. And at the time, we were, we were living on, on support, full-time support, trusting God that chapels in junior hockey were going to be something that uh, we were going to have an impact on. And I remember sitting on the, on the wall. My, my desk is here, and the wall's right here. And I wrote out a five-year goal, a chart, on the wall with marker. And in the first year, I had two dots. We're going to have, at the time, we had chapel in Estevan and Melfort. So I went out on faith and said, next year, we're going to have five junior teams. So I put five dots with the bingo dabber on the wall. And then I said, in three years' time, we're going to trust God for all 13 teams in Saskatchewan. So I bingo dabbered that block on the wall. And I said, okay, Lord, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go way, way out on a limb in my faith here. I'm going to trust that the year after that, in year four, we're going to have a couple of leagues. And we'll, we'll have 20 teams that have chapel programs. And I said, why not? In year five, let's blow the doors off this thing and have every team in North America have chapel programs. So I went like this on the wall for a couple minutes and made endless number of dabs on the wall. <clears throat> Uh, today, I don't think you can find a junior team in North America that does not have a chapel program. In fact, there's many leagues that mandate it. Mandate to have a chapel to minister to the players that play in those leagues. The Western Hockey League, the Saskatchewan Junior League. The Saskatchewan Junior League has an actual award <laughs> named after Roger Nielsen for the best player who's also the strongest believer that has the biggest impact in his community. Because in 1998, I was stupid and crazy enough to say, okay, let's just have it all, Lord. With really, to be honest with you, no expectation that would come to be. And I, I get to see that full circle now because when we're recruiting guys to come play for us at Trinity, most of those guys have been impacted by their chaplain. They might not follow Jesus, but they know who he is by the time he comes to me. And then we can continue dripping into their lives. <laughs> Getting off that bus in 1998 <laughs> in the St. James Arena and just say, Lord, like if we could ever work in Kazakhstan, that'd be pretty cool. I didn't have a clue what that meant. But man, is it pretty exciting. 
get to be involved with them again. Of all places, where's the, where's the World Juniors next year? Anyone know? Vancouver hosted it last year. The World Juniors next year are in the Czech Republic. And if you don't know our story as a family, God sent us to the Czech Republic in 2002 to do ministry there. So what is... What does Kazakhstan want? Because they, they won. They, they stayed promoted. They're not back down playing against Mexico and Israel. They've stayed promoted in April. Barrett, can you help us out in the Czech Republic? Absolutely, we can. Because we're just keep creating authenticity. We're going to keep creating community. We're going to keep dripping on you and trusting that more of your young men and coaches are going to come to know Jesus. And if they stay promoted one more year, guess where they're going? World Juniors are back here in Edmonton. So I hope to see a bunch of you guys up there. I'll send out a volunteer list of people that will help me be drivers and cooking food for those young men. You can be part of the community. Seven years ago, I was on top of the world with my family. Chaplain and Saskatchewan Rough Riders, hosting the, the Grey Cup in 2013. And we were invited to go out to Trinity Western and coach this hockey team. And the hockey team was on their last hurrah. A number of kids got kicked out of school for dealing drugs. Their GPA, they were failing out of school. They didn't win very many hockey games. To tell you how bad that they were in terms of behavior, not one of them had a girlfriend on campus because no one would walk across campus to spit on a hockey player. And, uh, and the Lord continued to prompt us after we said no a few times. And finally we said, okay, Lord, we'll trust you and we'll see what can happen. We'll see if we can create a real authentic community out at Trinity Western with their hockey program. And our goal, I, I've got it back in my, my office in Vancouver now, was uh, if we're going to go out and do this, we're going to do it with excellence. We're going to create an unbelievable community. And we're going to be, if you go back to my analogy on the, on the five-year plan for chapels, I know our first year is going to be pretty rough. But in five years' time, we want to be the best university hockey program in the world. I don't know how we're going to do it, Lord. But for the last 28 years of our married life, you have continued to open doors and provide opportunities. So who am I to doubt you at this moment? And every year that we've been out there, we've seen young men come to follow Jesus, get baptized, graduate, sign pro contracts, sign accounting deals that they got great jobs. And Team GPA is up to 3.3. We won our second championship, so we get these kind of cool mementos to carry around and keep for keepsakes of winning hockey games. But that's only a byproduct because we continue to honor God with the things away from the ice surface. <clears throat> uh, coming back from Kazakhstan, I flew back on a Monday into Vancouver. And Bridget picked me up at the airport, and we drove straight from the airport to Whistler because at Whistler... 
was the annual general meeting for the U Sport. And if you don't know what U Sport is, some of the old, uh, maybe old isn't a safe word, sorry, young at heart, will remember U Sport, it used to be called CIS, Canadian InterVarsity Sport. And before that, it used to be called CIAU. It's the top level of university hockey in, in the world. And we were applying to be accepted, like a, a franchise, an expansion franchise, would you let us in? And there we were, sitting amongst all these other big schools like the U of A, U of R, U of S, Calgary, handout saying, we're, we're doing things the right way, we feel that we can be competitive when we want in, and they would come up to us and say, well, when we think you're ready, we'll let you in. Okay, Lord, whatever is going to work here, you got to work something out. Uh, we trust you. And then the next day, I'd go and schmooze with them again upstairs and just talk to them and say, like, we're going to do this and we're going to do that. And Wow, we just don't think you're ready. You don't even have a girls hockey team. How are you going to be ready in time? <laughs> There's the, there he is. He's up here. We're safe now. So Thursday rolls around at the annual general meeting, and it's time to vote. Are we going to let Trinity Western University, those Bible thumpers on the, in Langley, are we going to let them have a hockey team and come into our little boys club? We got voted in. <clears throat> And not just a men's team. If your daughter, if you're a female hockey player here right now, in 14 months' time, there will also be a Trinity Western female hockey team playing at the youth sport level, right alongside the men. Our statement, when we went to our board of governors at the schools, we said, we, and when I say we, it's my assistant coaches and our wives and our, our families, it's the players that have the alumni that have gone before and the current players, and we said, we will be a rescue shop set up outside the gates of Hockey Hell. Because that's a community that continues to beat up young men and women mentally and physically in any other way that you can by trading them and telling them they're no good and whatever else. We're going to create something so dynamic and so different that hockey will be known at Trinity, as a place that does hockey differently because it's authentic, it creates community, and people are going to come and want to be a part of it. And we will be the top place to play hockey in the world post-secondary. Not because of me, not because of my coaches or the school, but because we're trusting God that the community that he's putting together will allow us to do that. If, if uh, the Lord can take a, a schmuck like me from Estevan, it's my hometown if you didn't know that, Estevan, Saskatchewan, and convince a farm girl from Kayville to marry me and say, Lord, we're going we're gonna to trust you to give us opportunities around the world. If, if God would entrust a couple of young 18-year-old hockey loving kids to get married and adventure out into this wild wonder of trusting God. 
I promise each and every one of you that he can do the same for you as you're sitting here this morning. And that's my challenge to you. Bridget and I aren't, we're not, we're not special people any more than you're not special people. The only reason that we got opportunities is because we were willing to just put our foot out there and say, okay, God, I'm going to trust you to have this really weird community in hockey. I'm going to trust you to have this really weird opportunity in Kazakhstan. We're going to be authentic and real and just be ourselves to them and let them know that you can make a difference in their lives. And then we just stand back and let God do it. He's the one that orchestrates all those little things where Corbin Knight will sign in Kazakhstan in the middle of the craziest country in the world. He's the one that orchestrates us being able to convince a bunch of other schools that their boys club can be ruined by having a Bible-thumping school come in the midst of it and make a, a mess of it. And when I say mess, I mean a God mess. And so my challenge to you guys is just be willing to step out. Wherever you work right now, whatever group of people you chum with, whatever community that you're involved with, continue to be authentic. Our world craves it. They'll spend $127,000 to sit and smell what authenticity looks like. Surely you can have that same authenticity to your coworkers, to your family members, to your friends. And it's not always just smashing them upside the head with the Bible. It's a slow progression of just being willing to serve them with humility and love on them. And when the moment comes to speak that truth into their lives. Don't ever for one moment think that they don't want to hear it. Social media, the newspapers, everything else will tell you they, we're, we're an evolved society. We don't need God anymore. This is our time to stand up and be counted. This is our time to trust each other and be vulnerable with each other to the point of authenticity that creates community that will have more opportunities than you could ever shake a stick at. And I know that sounds like a similar message that every year I come by here, I say somewhat the same thing and use the same passage out of Matthew 5.14. But gosh darn it, why can't we just keep being a light up on the hill? Don't ever be ashamed of that. Don't ever be ashamed of that. And as a challenge to fathers on Father's Day, you might have screwed up a whole bunch of times and maybe that video that opened up the service and you might be one of those dads that has a bunch of empty promises and maybe you weren't that good of a dad and you're not maybe that great of a husband you feel that you failed. This is your moment to say, on this day, on Father's Day of 2019, I got right with Jesus because he, he gives me hope and purpose and it's, that's my identity that I need. This is our opportunity to mark this day as something special and say, God, I'm all yours.